Good morning, everyone. So, my friends, uh, as we celebrate uh, the solemnity of Mary and um, the church uh, is teaching us um, always uh, through all the events, and Mary, uh, the church does the same. On this assumption of, of her body and soul, and the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the assumption happens at the end of Mary's life on earth and marks it. However, equally, uh, while this marks the end of her earthly life, it marks the beginning of her heavenly life, where she works as an, if you will, that's not probably the best word, her ministry. <laughs> her grace is to be intercessor for God's people. Her assumption is the inauguration of an era when all generations would indeed call her blessed. And they do. Some curse her because they do not understand. Some would have her not spoken of because they do not understand. My friends, the octave day of the Assumption will celebrate the queenship of Mary next week, Tuesday. Many traditional representations of the Assumption use, um, used to show uh, Jesus crowning his mother in heaven. As a matter of fact, we have, as you enter the church, if you look up, you will see an icon of that very image. And that symbolic image was intended to show that in the Assumption, Jesus gives his mother the most powerful intercessory role in heaven and on earth. In times past, many a homily on this occasion of the Assumption would have emphasized the mystery of the Assumption as one of the special privileges given to Mary. However, today we should try to see the great privileges of her life as moments that carry a promise for you and I. Mary's Assumption shows us, first of all, the conclusion of a life of faith and fidelity that something happens. It is a pledge that full salvation in Christ is available to anyone who will approach Jesus, and certainly through his mother. Where Mary has gone, we Christians hope to follow. And in good times or bad, we can look at a picture of the Assumption and know that the same reward of a glorious life awaits all of us who are faithful to Christ every day, not just on Sunday, not just on solemnities, but every day. Every moment of faithfulness, which may go unseen by others, is seen by God. Every interior struggle against temptation about which the world will never know, is known and held by God. Every good intention that the world misunderstands is fully understood by God. The assumption means that our full and final reward then is with God. Mary's assumption gives us the reassurance that she is with us in the battles in this world. The book of Revelation, our first reading, describes a woman clothed in the sun and stars about her. 
who escapes the destruction from the dragon. And my friends, as you know, the book of Revelation is filled with many, many symbolisms. And uh, the woman uh, whom it speaks about certainly can mean Israel, the people. It certainly can mean Mother Church now. And it certainly means Mary, the woman of the apocalypse. Maybe all three, because Mary is profoundly linked with Israel, and she is profoundly linked forever to her son's church. Every generation and every life has its own struggles with the dragon. The dragon in the, in the apocalyptic reading is a symbol of everything that is evil. Mary assists us in our battle of this life. The assumption shows us that the body follows the soul eventually. In the end, our bodies will be raised. Jesus himself has spoken these words to us. In the end, our bodies will be raised to be reunited with our soul. In the assumption of Mary, we see that our limitations, our isolations will all be healed. We see our hope fulfilled in God, the one who always keeps his promises. The second reading, St. Paul put forth that no earthly authority or power is final. History itself shows us that they are all temporary because they are of the earth. Christ alone will be ultimately victorious because he is the final authority and power of everything. He will complete every human life, not by destroying but by completing and finalizing each person's deepest desire, life eternal with the Father. The assumption shows us what will happen to those who have spent their life being faithful to God. And in this world, often that means suffering. There was a long period of time when Mary was a point of contention among the many different Christian denominations. And that seems slowly to be disappearing as many more see and understand Mary differently. Mother Church, the Roman Rite, with the Lutherans have drawn up an accord 10, 15 years ago on the understanding of Mary. Some of the other denominations uh, are following. Others, they are certainly not. But Mary becomes a model of discipleship for each of us and for the church. The assumption shows us that the final goal of the entire Christian community and of every good person, a person of goodwill, is eternal and full union with God. In her assumption, Mary is the leader of a huge procession of people who will be reunited, or united, if you will, with God forever. The assumption assures us that in God's eyes, our entire humanity, this is why the church fights so hard for the respect and dignity of all life, from the moments of conception to its natural end, and everything in the middle, everything in the middle, our precious young ones, our teens who lose hope, 
and decide it is better to leave. We have to fix this and change that thought. But this is why the church fights so hard for the respect and dignity of all life. Because it is precious in the eyes of God. My friends, you are the you of Jesus' promise when he says, I will raise you on the last day. My friends, this gospel from Luke, Luke attributes the Magnificat to the mouth of Mary. And it's beautiful, and there's beautiful hymns. I love all of them. And they're beautiful, and they're sweet-sounding. But you need to go and look at the Magnificat closer and see what it says. It is revolutionary. Mary puts forth a whole change in God in the social order. She says, he has scattered the proud, ego and arrogance that reigned, reigns no more. And to those who are attached to that, those who are rich in their own thoughts, in their own ways, not just about money. She says, he has scattered them. And now he raises up the poor. He fulfills his promises, the promises he made to Abraham and his descendants forever. Go back and reread the Magnificat. It is revolutionary. And what's even more amazing is that it comes from a 14-year-old girl who lived in a time when women were considered to be nothing but property. It's just an amazing, the Magnificat's absolutely amazing, not only for its time, but for today. Read it and see the principles revolutionary. So now I see not only was Jesus a revolutionary, but his mama was too. <laughs> mama Mary. One of the greatest disciples ever. My friends, last year I spoke a little bit. I didn't bring it with me because it's very long. On this occasion I spoke to you about an apocryphal writing. Apocryphal writing is not in our canons. You don't have to believe it. Uh, but there is some credence given to it. Uh, and it's called the Transitus Marie. And it's the final account of Mary's life given by John the Beloved, the one who cared for her. It's about four or five pages long, and I was reading it last night, going over it again and again and again, because it's so beautiful. But there's things that I missed the first time around reading. God's uh, in there. The beloved says uh, she's in Bethlehem. And she knows that she's leaving this world. She's asked for the apostles to come. And then there, there's an account from 
John, he said, the Holy Spirit brings them to her, to her bedside. And it's miraculous. He says, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter is in one area of the country. And the Holy Spirit comes and tells them, the lady, our lady is asking for you. The mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, your God, calls you. And the Holy Spirit whisks them up in a cloud of light and brings them. You know, you should automatically shekinah, cloud of light, and takes them and puts them at the house. And the Holy Spirit goes and gets each one. But, but some of the apostles are not there anymore. They're dead. That's what is amazing what John says. They are there. He seems to imply that their body came out of the ground. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my mercy. <laughs> oh, my mercy, Jesus is full of surprises. She speaks to them. You can go and read this. It's amazing. She speaks to them. And she asked them to sing. So thank you for the beautiful hymns. She asked them to sing to her as she transitions, as she leaves this world to go into the next. And they sing hymns of glory to God for all that God has done. And then finally, the beloved says, her son comes. Her son comes for her. And she has been waiting what seems an eternity to see him again that way. And he takes her. She who bore our Savior would not the Father prevent her body from corruption, decay? Would he not put her as queen of heaven and earth? Would he not make her supreme in her intercessions? And would not her prayers have special efficacy? Because she was the mother of Jesus, Sure, absolutely, because she was a great disciple. She never, never faltered. She never disbelieved God. Just as the Magnificat says, blessed are you who believed everything that was said to you would come to pass. To God be glory and power and honor for ages upon the ages. Through Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, power and glory. And to Mother Mary, pray for us.